Okay. If I could get your attention, we'd get started. <laughs> yeah, he'd do it. Okay. All right, as you know, we're doing a series on Romans. This is the second lesson in a 10-part series, the book of Romans. And uh, before I get started, I wanted to mention uh, an opportunity to go to Israel next June with me. I'm taking a group over there, and if anybody is interested, uh, I can get them whatever information they need. So uh, think that over. We have a few spots left available. And so that'll be uh, like June 11th of 2016. So you got plenty of time to plan. And uh, let me know if you're interested. All right? So we're studying Romans. And in today's, uh, you can turn to Romans 1, verse 18, right? And we saw last week, well, we have a creator who created us in his image to have a loving relationship with him. And God has put in place laws and rules that basically represent his righteousness. They are given for our benefit to do us good, just like uh, the necessary rules of golf. <laughs> the rules of golf are important as well, but still what happens? People cheat. And there are consequences when people cheat, right? Just like we'll see in today's video. <laughs> All right. So just to tell you about, the, about today and the next few lessons, Romans chapter 1 through 3, if you, if you divided the book of Romans into sections, Romans 1 through 3 would be called the need section. The need section. So Paul is going to prove that the whole human race has a need. A need for God. A need for a Savior. A need for Jesus Christ, of course. Uh, and so Romans 1.3 is kind of a state of the union message about the human race. Uh, it's, it's a fallen race. We live in a fallen world. Romans 1 explains the problem of of the rebellious, disobedient nations. He's going to talk about, you know, those people out there, those people in the nations that have rejected God and fallen into idolatry. They are disobedient, they denied God, and they came up with their own religions. It's just that simple. And then Romans 2 next week, we'll see, uh, he'll deal with the need that good people have. Because, I mean, after all, who are we? We're the good people. You know, we're good guys. Everybody likes us. And, you know, we do what's right, right? We keep the Ten Commandments. We're great, right? Well, not so fast. In chapter 2, he's going to prove that we all fall short. We all got a need for Christ. And then after that, uh, the next lesson, Romans 3, he's going to say, okay, the third type of person that's out there in, in, a, in a great need, great needy state is the very super extra double religious person. We all know that person, never missed Sunday school, never missed church, has always done what he was supposed to do, always done it right, 
uh, and obeyed every rule and every law, given money, tithed, you know, everything you can think of. And naturally, what are they? They're pious, they're holier than thou. What about them? And of course, in Paul's day, that had been Paul before Christ came into his life. He was a Pharisee in Jerusalem. So he's very familiar with that very legalistic, pious, holier-than-thou uh, Jewish tradition that he had uh, previously lived in. And so he's going to prove that they also, in their hypocrisy, are breaking the law of God and therefore have a huge need for Jesus Christ. Okay? Uh, but as a, uh, a standard today, we're going to study Romans 1, 18 through 32, and in today's lesson, you know, you'll see that the nations, the Gentiles, the peoples out there that have all turned to different worldly type religions, they have this great need. And you're going to say, as I did, what happened? What happened to the world? I mean, if you look at the uh, international news, the world news every night, how can you not ask that question? What's wrong with those people out there? Why can't they get it together? Why is everybody killing each other? I mean, the world is in a horrible state of being. I mean, it's, it's a mess out there, right? So today, we're gonna, you're going to find the answer. How did it get to be that way? What's wrong with those people? What's wrong with the world? The answer is right here in Romans chapter 1. And as I studied this, it, it hit me immediately that the prodigal son... that this, what Paul's saying here is exactly what you learn if you study the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son represents the rebellious human race. The rebellious human race that leaves the father, becomes estranged from the father. Why did he do that? If you remember, even though he had a loving father, his father was great. If you look at, at Luke 15, you can see he had a great father, loving father. But he wants to go his own way. He wants to make up his own rules. He says, I'm in charge. I want to, you know, I'm missing something. There's excitement out there. Something I need. There's more than what I have. So he wants to go his own way. He wants to rule his life, break all the rules. The prodigal son. So what did the father do? Did the father stop him? Did he corral him? Did he? No. He gave him what he needed to do what he wanted to do. He said, that's what you want to do? Go do it. Let's see, let's see how that works, right? And there's, there is incredible wisdom in what the father did because eventually the son realizes what a mess he's made of things, what a disaster it is, and he finally realizes how much he needed the father. And in that, he's willing by his own will to come back and seek forgiveness. And so uh, the father let him go and, and it, Paul's going to say in today's lesson that God has done the very same thing with rebellious mankind. And he's going to mention it and you can see it in verse 24 through 28. He, he re repeats it three times. What, what was God's reaction to all the idolatry and the sin and, and uh, rebelliousness? God gave them over, which means he just let them go. If that's what you want to do, go do what you want to do and let's see how that works. God knowing that it was self-destructive. God knowing that he made us, made 
all of us in his image to have a loving relationship with him. And anything else is, is going to be a mess of our lives. It's going to make, a, make for a mess in our lives. Anything else, living alone, estranged from God, separated from him, is going to be a disaster. And God knows that. But he lets the people go to find that out for themselves. And so the prodigal son also, he left, he rejected his father, he went out, he broke all the rules. And in the story we see a progression of his downfall in Luke, Luke 15. He rejects the father and then he becomes distanced, he leaves, he distanced himself uh, from the father and doing that he distanced himself from the truth. He has the truth but he leaves it for something else, Right? So what happens then? He goes out and gets involved in every depravity of every kind uh, and the consequences are what? He hits rock bottom. It's a disaster. He hits rock bottom. He's broke. He's in the middle of a huge depression. There's no jobs to be had. He's got nothing to eat. He's got all kinds of illnesses. I mean, he, he hit the very bottom and it was the worst it could be. Only then did he discover how much he needed the Father and the Father's forgiveness. And that's the point Paul's making here. God gave them over. He let them go. So that in hitting rock bottom, the hope of God would be that some would come back. Some would then seek him again and ask for forgiveness. And out of God's love and grace, he would, of course, give it. So the prodigal, like the people in Romans 1, he exchanged the truth for a lie. He had the truth, but he exchanged it. And there's several words in today's lesson I want you to hang on to and remember. And one of them is that concept of exchanging. They knew the truth, but they exchanged it for a lie. They had everything they needed, but they exchanged it for the mess that they made of things when, when they left. They exchanged what was good for what was bad. Order for disorder. Natural for unnatural in every way. So what was the human condition apart from God? What, what did the prodigal, gun, the prodigal son fall, uh, find out in Luke 15? What did he find out? The same thing the guy in, in Romans 1 finds out. It's a disaster. It's chaos. It's mayhem. Nothing works without that relationship. So the prodigal son found himself lost, broken, lonely, dying. And so what did he discover in that condition? The forgiveness and love and grace of the Father was what he needed. And that's what Paul's point in here is in the need section. There is a great need in the whole human race, no matter what category you and I fall into. You may be the rebellious, wild person of the prodigal son, or you may be the good person, you know, like me. <laughs> or you may be that super religious person that was brought up in the church and you always did what was right, you know. My dad was like that. He said, well, I started going to church when I was five years old. The idea of not going to church, I just couldn't imagine that. And... I always did what they told me to, you know. So 
they naturally think that's what it is, right? But the super religious person, the good moral person that everybody likes, and the prodigal wild person, all of us need a Savior. We all fall short of the glory of God, and we need God's forgiveness and His grace and His love. And, of course, in Christ He has provided that. So last week in verse 17, Romans 1, 17, uh, was the uh, center point of last week's lesson. And, and he says what we all need, of course, is the righteousness of God. We have no righteousness of our own. We need the righteous, righteousness of God. And so uh, as we get into the, 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 the reason we need it, we see... Ver- Right off the bat in verse 18 and in the rest of chapter 1, 18 through 32, that the nations have moved away, they've rebelled, they've estranged, estranged themselves from God, right? And therefore, they need something. They need God's help. They need the grace of God to bring them back. And of course, uh, what is God's initial response to their rebellion, the rebellion of the nations. They've left God. They've rejected God. They've gone out and made up their own world religions. And so what is God's reaction? Well, I'd like to stand up here and tell you and that everything's going to be rosy. Gosh, it's all going to work out great. You know, I have a positive message that the world is in great shape. You know, I know there's, there's some problems out there now, but we're working them out. Through diplomacy and, you know, goodwill, we're going to work all these world problems out. They'll surely come around to our way of thinking. We'll just make some really nice treaties with them. And we'll give them, you know, whatever they want. I'd like to stand up here and tell you that things are going to get better and, and we've got the answers and, like, you know, the humanists out there will say, well, with all the information that we're gathering today and all the knowledge we have now, the technology that we're building up, the medical breakthroughs that are happening, we're going to solve all the problems. All the problems will be solved. Every disease will be cured. It will be eradicated. Right? I'd like to tell you that because that's what the world wants to believe. And soon the world will be a very safe place to be in. There will be no war Violence and evil will be over. I'd like to tell you that, but I can't because that's not even close to the truth. It's the exact opposite. We're going the wrong direction. We're going just the opposite. We're going deeper into the pit, just like the progression you'll see of evil that you'll see in today's lesson. I I saw, I don't know if you saw it in the Dallas Morning News this morning. I mean, I never think I'm going to be shocked after all the, I've already seen. But if you look at the front page of Dallas Morning News, all these soldiers are coming back from Afghanistan. And, and they're all upset because of the pedophilia that is part of the religion and culture of Afghanistan. And the very people that we set up to govern and the very people that we give all this money to and that they're over there as soldiers trying to train, those people all have children that they're molesting. I'm not making this up. It's right there in the Dallas Morning News this morning. 
It's unbelievable. And you read something like that and you go, that's, I mean, that's just too horrible to believe. How could the world have degraded itself to this condition where that's a lifestyle, that's a way of living? And when they confronted, some of these soldiers confronted them, they said, this is our culture. Don't meddle in, you know, our way of life. Right? So that's the way the world is. Uh, it's messed up. So what's God's response? Look at verse 18. Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So what's God's response? Wrath. Wrath. God is angry and he's going to do something about it. And so what we're going to find out though, which, which is absolutely incredible, is that what is the wrath of God? And just We'll jump ahead and then we'll come back. Look at verse 24. What is God's wrath as defined in Romans 1? Because there are you know, when we normally think of wrath, what do we think of? We think of the end times wrath when Christ comes back to judge the world. You know, he'll divide the sheep from the goats. And you have the wrath of God uh, where the people of God go to heaven and the wrath of God against the people who do not believe and who die in their sins, you know, is eternal destruction, condemnation, right? But now today in this world that God is allowing us to live our own lives and do just as we please, what, is, what wrath is God showing right now? Look at verse 24. After he's listed all the sins and rebellion, he says, therefore God gave them over. That is the wrath of God right now. Just think about it for a minute. What is the worst thing that you could do you know, to a child, to your children? Just let them go. You're on your own. You know, you're a three-year-old kid. You kick them out the door and shut the door. You'll be all right out there. That'd be the worst thing you could do. But because of the rebellion, that's what God has done to the human race. You want to leave. You want to disobey. You reject me. You suppress the truth. Okay, do what you want to do, and let's see how that works. That's the wrath of God. And guess what? Remember we talked about the prodigal son? What did the father do? The same thing. He knew in his wisdom that the son would never figure it out, would never do what he told him to do. He had to experience it. He had to find out for himself. So God let him go, turned him over. And now here we are as the human race seeing the fruit of the rebellion of the human race. It's a disaster. The world is a mess out there because of it. And that's what, he's, that's what Paul's saying. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and all the unrighteousness of men. You know, evil. People say, people want to blame everything on God. They don't want to take responsibility for anything. So what do they say? Well, I couldn't believe in a God that will allow evil. Really? That's your fault. It's not God's fault. Human beings are killing each other. They're doing these atrocities. See? But we're blaming it on God? No, I don't think so. And Paul is very clear right here. 
The wrath of God is revealed against the evil that men are doing. So he goes on. Why are they why are they held responsible? Why would God hold them responsible? Because you know, people would like to say, well, you know, they're on a deserted island. They're pygmies in Africa. They're down in the rainforest of Brazil. They don't know. They, it's not their fault. Really? Look at what Paul has to say. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. It's inherent. It's in their soul. He's going to go on to say uh, they are responsible for at least four reasons. They're responsible because God has created them. It's in our DNA. He has created us with an inherent knowledge of God and a desire to seek Him. If you study uh, history, human history, you'll see that every civilization was religious, had some kind of religion. How can that be? Because the human race is incurably religious. You've heard that, and it's true. They're incurable. They've got to be religious. They know there's a God. They've got to fill that vacuum inside of them. What did Pascal say? God has created us with a God-shaped vacuum in our heart that must be filled, and it's true. And when you won't fill it with God, you've got to fill it with something. And so this is where world religions and idolatry and all this comes from. So he says, number one, God made it himself evident to them, within them. And then secondly, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. So secondly, God's creation is so immense, it's so awesome, and it's got such order to it, we can't help but think, well, I know no person made this. And I know there's a cause for everything. Something made this. Somebody made this. And that should, at least, at the very least, pique your curiosity to seek God. And, of course, the Scripture says, if anyone truly seeks God, sincerely seeks God, God will reveal himself to them. So, He's inherently knowledgeable, knowledge to them. He's in our hearts. We look at the creation and we can know that there's a God who, who made all this. And also, what else? We have a moral sense that the rest of creation doesn't have. We're made in God's image. We have a moral sense that's natural. You have a conscience. You're born with it. Right? So, in verse 20, he says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, the creation. And what's his conclusion? Therefore, so that they are without excuse. So the Bible, so Paul is saying that all this nonsense about, I didn't know, it's not my fault. He's saying that's baloney. God made himself evident to the human race, and they are responsible. You know, people would like to say, well, you know, there's, everybody has their own way. There's so many ways to God. 
And uh, one way is good, as good as another. And somebody once gave me this, this scenario. I'll give it to you. They said, oh, you know what it's like? God sits at the top of the mountain, and there are many paths to the top. And no matter what path you take, you'll arrive at the same place. Really? The truth is, is that the mountain is too steep. Nobody can climb it. It's too high for anybody to get up there. So what happened? God had to come down in the person of Christ. We couldn't climb that mountain. And so God has come down the mountain seeking us in the person of Jesus Christ. So anyone attempting to climb the mountain is failing. And that's Paul's point. All these world religions, there's just an attempt to climb the mountain on their own. And they're failing. They're not getting there. So that illustration proves exactly the opposite of what whoever made it up is claiming. Okay? So what's going on here in verse 18 through 21? Why does the world deserve God's wrath? Number one, suppression of truth. They had the truth. Look at verse 21. Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. They didn't recognize it, that knowledge. They did not honor him as God. They did not give thanks to him for all the blessings he's given us and what he's done for us. But instead, what they do? They became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. So futile in their speculations, what do people do? When they refuse to believe the truth about God, they don't believe nothing. They'll believe anything. If you go study world religions, and I've studied them, the major religions, it's mind-blowing, the stuff that people would believe. I mean, India's got like millions of gods. <laughs> They're the most bizarre, ridiculous. They worship, you know, cows and monkeys and all kinds of things. Buddhists. They've got a shrine, a Buddhist shrine is called the Shrine of the Tooth. <laughs> and in a big case, I saw a picture of it, a big case is a tooth about four inches long. It's just nasty looking, got, you know, orange, you know, look like they never, whoever had it, never brushed their teeth. But it's the Shrine of the Tooth, and they go in there and they bow down and pray and worship this tooth. I'm not making this up. <laughs> this is the truth. This is crazy. And that's his point. When you refuse to believe in God, what happens? Your mind becomes sick and darkened. You start speculating. You start making stuff up because you've got to fill that void with some type of God, some type of distraction. And their foolish heart was darkened. These so-called brilliant people, the smartest people in the world. They can have eight doctorates, but the Bible says, compared to God, what are they? Think of the smartest guy you know. Compared to God, how smart is he? Nothing. He's an idiot. And so that's why he can say here in verse 22, when they stand up and profess to be wise, well, I know this and I know there's no God, and I know blah, 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 and they make up a religion or a philosophy or whatever. They become fools. And, of course, that's in God's view. That's in God's view. They're fools. 
compared to God. And what did they do? Here's verse 23. Remember I said, think of, remember that word exchange? This is the great exchange. What did they do? They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Go anywhere in third world country all over the world and you see exactly what he's talking about. Study the history of the human race, the religions of the human race for the last 4,000 years. Exactly that. He's exactly right. They've made up their own religions and come up with all these idols that they worship instead of God. It's crazy. But that's what we've done. That's what the human race has done. And, and how did we get there? Well, you've got four things going on. The suppression of truth. God gave you his truth and we suppress it. Think of the image. I always think of an image of a beach ball. You know, it's full of air. Have you ever had it in the pool? And the kids love to do this, try to push it under the water, and it keeps popping up. You know, that's kind of the, the image of this word, suppress. You know, that's, that oxygen in that balloon is lighter than the water, so it must be here. It's, but they're trying to make it do something it doesn't naturally do. Suppression of truth. God's made himself known. They suppress it. Secondly, they reject God altogether, verse 21. Thirdly, rationalization. The next step is we're going to rationalize the way things we want things to be. I'm going to have a certain lifestyle, so I'm going to make up a religion that confirms my lifestyle. And I'm going to go with that. The uh, Greek word in the Bible for Sin, one of them is hamartia, which means that you miss the mark. And the image is that there's a bullseye. And God, it's like an archery deal. And God says, okay, this is my bullseye. You have to hit this bullseye. Think of the Ten Commandments. This is the bullseye, the Ten Commandments. Well, you know what the human race has done? Instead of aiming at that bullseye, they just fire their arrow anywhere, and then they go draw the bullseye around where it landed up. You know, there's a wall there, and they shoot at it, and it hits that wall, and then they just go over and draw a bullseye around the arrow. I did it! <laughs> and fourthly, the great exchange. They exchange the truth for a lie. They exchange the truth for what they rebelliously desire. Just like the prodigal son. He said, man, I'm looking for action. I'm looking to gratify all these desires I have. I got to go. I got to have some money, Dad. Because there's stuff out there, there's a fulfillment out there for me. <laughs> How did that work? Didn't work. It's a mess. So verse 24, continuing the progression, and this, this idea of God giving them over, Therefore, because of the idolatry, because of the suppression of truth, the rationalization, and outright rejection of God, what did God do? God gave them over. Let them go. You're never going to learn unless you experience how bad life is without God. So God gave them over. 
in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. So they said, we want to do this? And he said, it's not going to work. It's going to be bad. It's self-destructive. But if that's what you want, go ahead on. And what happened? Before we read uh, 24 through 28, skip down to verse 29. Because 24 through 28, you probably know or look forward and you know it's about uh, homosexuality. But I want to show you something before we get to that. Verse 29 is the laundry list of all the sins that people in rebellion to God just naturally commit. Verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed. Y'all don't know any greedy people. <laughs> wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips. Don't know any of those. <laughs> Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful. I don't know anybody. Is there anybody on TV that's arrogant and boastful? Starts with a T. <laughs> Boastful, arrogant, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. So all these sins, all this mess that he just went through, all, all those things are a result of the rebellion against God. I mean, put all together, what is, what is it? It's evil, okay? Now, going back to verse 24 through 28, what is he's going to say that all these, God didn't create us that way. God created originally people, us, made in his image to have this loving relationship with him and glorify him and serve him, and that was broken by the fall, by the original sin, disobedience, whatever you want to call it. And so what happened? We, everything we started doing that was depraved and degraded and what have you is seen as, as Paul here, as unnatural. We started doing what's unnatural. This is not what God created you to do. He didn't create you to be haters and slanders and gossips and deceit and greed. But that's what we became. It's unnatural in God's view. And what is the most obvious example of what's unnatural? Well, that's, what, that's why he uses the example there in verse uh, 24 and following of homosexuality as unnatural. Because what he's saying, now I've read about 20 books on Romans because I want to... I thought, why did, he, why did he use up five verses? This is an awesome passage. And he used five verses there to talk about homosexual behavior. Why would he do that? Why is that so important? And, and so the consensus opinion I can tell you after reading every book that I could ever find is this, that this is a clear and obvious example of something that's unnatural. I mean, just think about it. Anybody knows this. Biologically, God made a man, and he's got certain equipment. Can I say that? 
and God made a woman, and she's got attributes? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> They're great, too. Okay? So God made man and woman a certain way so that they perfectly fit. I was going to get ready to do something with my hands, but I'm not going to. So man and woman perfectly fit together so that they pro naturally procreate. And this is God's plan from the beginning. What did he tell Adam and Eve? You know, multiply in the earth. So that's God's plan in, in making us and them, right? And that's the natural function. Any other fit is unnatural. The man's stuff, his equipment, doesn't fit anywhere else. And so Paul uses that as an example. It's just one of, he could put it down there with that whole other list. It's just one of the sins. It's just one of the things. Not necessarily the most important thing, but it's a, an obvious, clear example of what he means by unnatural, degrading. Okay? And so therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. It's impure. That their bodies might be dishonored. Their physical bodies are dishonored by this. For they exchanged. Why would they do this? Why did this happen? Verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. So this is a, a result, this unnatural behavior is a result of idolatry. Idolatry. That's the real culprit. That's the real problem. All the sin comes from that. Verse 26. And for this reason, God gave them over. So there's that emphasis, repetition, or emphasis. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts, receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. There was terrible consequences of this, as we know. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, here it is again, God gave them over. Let them go to a depraved mind. So the more they did this stuff and the further away they went, the more depraved and dark and messed up their mind got. Their thinking was wrong, progressively wrong, unnatural. And so that leads right into, okay, let me just give the whole list of these things. That's not the only one. Being filled with unrighteous wickedness, greed, evil, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slander, etc. And then verse 32. And we've seen this. It's, this is so, verse 32 is so evident today. And it always blows my mind. Who are the heroes now? The people who come out of the closet. They're the heroes. And everybody sends them mail. We're so proud of you. And they applaud them. 
you know, and you got some uh, pro athlete last year who was drafted. That was the big story for like months, right? He couldn't play a lick, but he got the main stories. He got more press than the number one draft pick. I can't remember who the number one draft pick was, but I remember who this guy because he was on the news constantly. They applauded him. They thought he was a hero. So in verse 32, he says, Although they knew the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give, what? Hearty approval. They applaud them. Way to go! Hearty approval to those who practice them. You can tell Paul's amazed by this, of course. Um, so let, let me close with this. When I think of this big rebellion, you know, the, my experience with it in my life, I, all of us were, well, not all of us, most of us were, were here during the 60s, grew up during the 60s, and boy, has there ever been a bigger period of rebellion than the 60s. Remember how wild that, that was? And so that time period, I mean, what were they doing? They said, you can't tell us what to do. You know, you can't draft me into the army. You can't tell me I can't have free love and all the drugs I want, the whole deal, right? I want to go my own way, do my own thing. And I remember one of the movies that came out in the, in the 60s that really popularized that and people fantasized about. Remember Easy Rider? The guys on the motorcycle, and they just took off. Nobody told them what to do. They went their own way, right? Remember the song that was in, in, was in that movie, the theme song? Born to be Wild. Steppenwolf. Born to be Wild. I hear the lyrics. I'm not going to sing. I'm just. <laughs> Head out on the highway, looking for adventure in whatever comes my way. Yeah, darling, go make it happen. Take the world in a loving embrace. Fire all of your guns at once and explode into space. Like a true nature's child, we were born, born to be wild. <laughs> right? Well, how'd that generation go? How'd things work out for all those people? A mess. Broken homes. Divorce rate went way up. Drugs. The free, how did the free love go? That was the beginning, really, of just an explosion of STDs, you know, sexually transmitted diseases. It just exploded after that, all that, quote, free love. Drug addiction, all, all kinds of pornography, perversion, everything was multiplied after, after all that. So why? What happened? They exchanged the truth for a lie. They wanted to go their own way. They wanted to be wild and free. And it, God gave them over. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. You know what that would be like? It's like exchanging a Mercedes Benz for a scooter. God gives you a Mercedes Benz, the top of the line, and you go, no, I want that little scooter, you know, that I can. It's just crazy. But that's what the human race has done. God said, okay, that's what you want. Go with it. So what are the, the bottom line, the principles? What are the bottom line? Suppressing the truth incites the wrath of God. 
it's not going to end well. And secondly, the other side, embracing the truth. Embracing the truth invites the righteousness of God. What did we learn last week? The righteousness of God comes to us, is provided by God, and it comes to us by faith. So instead of inciting the wrath of God, what should we be doing? Inviting the righteousness of God. By bringing Christ into our hearts and into our lives and living for him. God's wrath, here's the exchange. God's wrath was poured out. You know, we just talked about wrath. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus on the cross so that God's righteousness could be given to us. Let me close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for blessing us with the truth. We have the truth, Lord. It's very simple. And it's in your word. And I pray that we would all embrace it and live by it. Lord, I thank you for providing. We have a great need and you have provided for that need in the person of Christ. His atoning work on the cross, we are saved and forgiven, restored in a right relationship with you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.